Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of Zane and Faryal Akhtar in Irving, Texas. This case has haunted me since it happened in 2010, and I knew I needed to share it. With that said, let's get right to it. Irving, Texas is a large city just northwest of Dallas. It's known for being one of the most diverse cities in the great state of Texas, and according to the cityofirving.com, it's home to the largest office park in the central part of the state. It serves as global headquarters for eight Fortune 500 companies and more than 140 international companies of all sizes. So it made perfect sense for Rashid Akhtar, who was working as a computer technician, to settle down in Irving after immigrating to the United States from Pakistan in the late 1990s. Several years later, Rashid met Saika, who it looks like at the time was still living in Pakistan, but soon joined her husband in the States. Details about the lives of the Akhtars prior to the reason we're here talking about them are hard to come by. I've pieced together what could be found from multiple news sources, including the Express Tribune, the Dallas Morning News, and CNN. Anyhow, a few years after the pair were married, they had their first child in 2005, a son they named Zane Saeed Akhtar. Three years later, in 2008, the family welcomed a daughter. Her name was Faryal Rashid. According to family members who spoke to the Dallas Morning News, at around age two, Zane was diagnosed with autism and Faryal had an unknown respiratory issue. Fast forward to 2010, Zane was five and receiving speech therapy, and little Faryal was just two. The family had recently moved to a new apartment in the Irving area. Rashid was still working as a computer technician, and Saika stayed home to care for the children. Officials from the school the five-year-old attended described Zane as a real sweet little boy. A neighbor spoke to NBC Dallas-Fort Worth and said, They were just little friendly happy kids the kind that like to come outside and play. From the outside looking in, it seemed that the Octors were your average everyday family. But all that changed on July 19, 2010, with a 911 call placed from the family apartment by Saika. The call came in at roughly 5 p.m. Saika wasted no time telling the dispatcher exactly what had happened. Remember, English was her second language, and at times the operator was confused as to exactly what Saika was trying to say, never mind the fact that what the mother was telling her was completely incomprehensible. 
Psycho stated. Hello, yeah. I killed my both kids. The operator responded, I'm sorry. I killed my both kids. They are died. I killed my both kids. Still confused, the operator said, Ma'am, do you need the police? Yeah, of course, Psycho responded. There was more back and forth as the operator struggled to understand. Psycho calmly repeated that both of her children were dead and she had killed them. The operator got her name and address and then asked her to explain exactly what had happened. Psycho repeated again, I killed my kids, my children, I killed them, both of them. When asked how she had killed her children, she told the operator, I used a wire on their neck. She went on to say, they are just not doing anything. They are just blue and they're like, they're not taking any breath and their heart is not beating. The operator pressed for more details. Saika informed her that the children were lying on her bed in the master bedroom and that she knows the police are coming to shoot her. She was then asked why she had killed her children and her response stunned the 911 operator. They are both. Both of them are not normal. They are autistic. Both are autistic. The operator responded, trying to remain calm. They're what, dear? Autistic. I don't want my kids to be like that. I don't want. I want normal kids. Saika then went on to tell the story of her first failed attempt at murdering her two and five-year-olds. First, I tried to give them bathroom cleaner. I put it in their mouth, but they don't drink it. I want them to drink it, but they don't drink it. So there's a wire in here, so I just grabbed their neck, and then I tried so many times, and then they are no more. She informed the operator that it was just her and her children in the house. Her husband was at work, but she had called him prior to calling 911, and he was on his way. Running water was then heard in the background of the call as Saika began to wash her hands. When the operator asked her why she was washing her hands, Saika said that the smell of the bathroom cleaner, you know, the one she had just tried to murder her kids with, was, quote, smelling too much. The operator then instructed her to sit on the couch to wait for the police. Saika complied, and as they both waited for first responders, the dispatcher asked her once again why she had killed her children. Saika stated, They're autistic. They're too much. I don't want my kids to be autistic. I killed both of them. The operator then asked what she was feeling, and Saika responded, Nothing. A few moments passed, and just before the call ended, officers are heard arriving on the scene. Once they arrived at the Wintry Apartments, they found five-year-old Zane and two-year-old Faryal barely clinging to life. Faryal still had a cord wrapped tightly around her neck. The two children were rushed to a nearby children's hospital. Despite life-saving measures from first responders, five-year-old Zane was pronounced dead. Two-year-old Faryal was placed on life support, her condition listed as very critical. Psycho was taken to police headquarters for questioning and later into custody after, according to CBS 11, she confessed during two interviews with detectives from the Irving Police Department, even demonstrating with a doll how she had strangled her children. Zane's body was taken for autopsy and it was confirmed that he had been strangled with a wire. The postmortem exam had to be performed rather quickly as the Akhtar family were of Islamic faith. 
According to MuslimFuneralServices.com, it is customary that the deceased are not embalmed and that the burial takes place as soon as possible. As arrangements were made for Zane the following day on July 20, 2010, NBC Dallas-Fort Worth reported that Faryal had taken a turn for the worse and doctors didn't expect her to survive. At 6.30 p.m., two-year-old Faryal was pronounced dead. Police announced that they would be seeking capital murder charges against Saika and she was being held on a $1 million bond. A Dallas County Sheriff's spokeswoman also revealed that 30-year-old Saika had undergone a psychiatric evaluation when she was booked into the jail and was placed on suicide watch. That disturbing 911 call was released to the public. Funeral services for the children were held a day apart at the Dallas Central Mosque. Zane was laid to rest on July 21st and Faryal on the 22nd. Family members spoke for the grieving father, stating he's unable to talk or anything because he is crying. He's totally broken. One violent act had ripped Rashid Akhtar's entire family away in an instant. Days later, Rashid himself did make a statement to CBS 11 News after Psycho was officially charged with two counts of capital murder. Capital murder due to the children's ages. His statement was shocking and heartbreaking all at the same time. Rashid said, I lost my daughter. I lost my son. I can't afford to lose my wife. I understand my children are gone. They can't come back. But my wife, she's a caring mom. I want her back in my life so I can feel like I'm not alone in this world. He went on to say that Zane had been diagnosed with autism, but two-year-old Faryal had not and that Zane was making progress with speech therapy and saying phrases like, See you, Papa. The general public got a good glimpse into what Saika's defense was going to be as Rashid, other family members, and Saika's court-appointed defense attorney spoke about Saika's mental health. A family member spoke to CBS 11 and said that he had spoken to Saika while she was in the Dallas County Jail, and she had told them that she didn't murder her children, and she didn't know how it had happened. Her husband, Rashid, claimed Psycho was, quote, mentally ill, and that in the months before the murders, she was fearful that someone was going to arrest her and her family and was fearful of people who looked at her while they were on their cell phones. According to Rashid, things took a turn once they had moved into that new apartment, and she was afraid of footsteps in the apartment above theirs, thinking someone was out to get her. And further, in that last three or four months, Psycho was seeing something, and something was controlling her. He didn't elaborate on what she was seeing, or exactly who or what was controlling her, but her defense attorney doubled down, stating, We have to demonstrate that she didn't know the difference between right and wrong, and that's a pretty tough hurdle. Really and truly, a lot of insane people know the difference between right and wrong. They just can't control themselves. Not being able to control yourself is not exactly the legal definition of insanity, but what do I know? I can't move on without noting two things here. Seeing or hearing things is not why Saika claimed she had strangled her two children to death. She made her reasons crystal clear in the 911 call and subsequent police interviews. And the fact that Saika, prior to the murders, had never been diagnosed with any mental health condition. 
None of these claims were brought to light until after her two children were dead. Back to the story. Reports surfaced about the family's prior interaction with Child Protective Services, which was brief. A little over a year prior, in May of 2009, according to CPS spokeswoman Marissa Gonzalez, Faryal was having a respiratory issue, so the family rushed her to the hospital, leaving four-year-old Zane home alone. After the incident, the family was forthcoming and compliant with CPS and reassured the protection agency that they understood why it was dangerous to leave a child that young home alone. At the time of the investigation, neither child showed any signs of abuse or neglect and were in, quote, very good condition. CPS spoke to multiple family members, friends, and those that knew the family, and no one indicated that there were any concerns about the safety or well-being of the children. The Octor family was given resources to help with any parenting issues that came up in the future. And with that, the story faded from the headlines until early fall of 2014 when Saika Octor was on trial for murdering her children. The trial wasn't heavily reported on. As I've said, information about this case has been hard to find. What we do know is that Saika pled not guilty by reason of insanity. She and her defense team chose to have a bench trial, which means her fate was in the hands of a single judge instead of a jury of 12. Her defense called several mental health experts to the stand, most notably psychologist Christy Compton, who testified that Saika was diagnosed with schizophrenia and was legally insane at the time she committed the murders. The Dallas News reported that Compton testified that Saika believed she was helping her children by ending their lives. The prosecution acknowledged the claims of the mental health experts, however, presented evidence that the murders were premeditated. Law enforcement had discovered that Saika had searched online terms like how to kill children and what amount of bathroom cleaner is fatal. There were numerous searches and they were made over the course of weeks prior to the double murder. When her plan to poison her children failed, she strangled them to death, called 911, washed her hands, and repeated to the operator multiple times that she didn't want autistic children because they were too much. There was not a single mention on that 911 call about hearing voices, outside forces, or helping her children as the defense claimed she thought she was doing. However, District Judge Mike Snipes found Saika Octor not guilty by reason of insanity. He remanded her to the North Texas State Hospital for mental health treatment until she is no longer deemed as a threat to herself or others, and a judge signs off on her release. The reaction to this ruling was split. Members of the Akhtar family and some community members supportive of the judge's ruling. But others, especially advocates for those in the autistic and disabled community, felt Zayn and Faryal never received true justice. They had committed no crime, yet were sentenced to death at the hands of their so-called mother. According to a study by the Ruderman Family Foundation, conducted from 2011 to 2015, every week, one person with disabilities is murdered by their family member or caregiver. And they don't even think that's the true number of cases, as someone's disability is not always reported. 
president of the foundation, Jay Ruderman, said, It is abhorrent that a person with a disability is murdered by their parents, children, or caregivers every week. This statistic itself is tragic, but what is even more abhorrent is that the journalists covering these murders all too often erase the voice of the person with a disability and occasionally even sympathize with the murderers. This case was the prime example of that. The lack of coverage and the tone of the limited coverage that was available was crushing. Not a single photograph of either of these children exists in the media. Instead, their killer's photo is plastered on every article. And the headlines? One headline from Psychology Today read, Another Autism Tragedy. A headline from world-renowned CNN about the murder of these innocent children literally took my breath away as I read. High stress for parents who are raising autistic children. As if autism is an excuse to murder. And then there were the interviews with, quote, advocates. You'll know why the quotes exist around advocate here in a hot minute. One woman who shall remain nameless because I'm not giving her brand of advocacy an ounce of spotlight, said in an interview that as a mother of autistic children, quote, part of her understood what Psyche had done. I find it hard to believe that any advocate could understand how a mother could wrap a cord around the neck of her two children, tightening until in Psyche's own words, they were no more. Just who in the hell are we advocating for? Sorry, y'all, but everything about this case makes my blood boil. After reading those headlines, I couldn't quite find the right words to eloquently describe the damage being done to the autistic community with trash reporting such as that. So I reached out to someone who could. If you followed for a while, then you probably know all about the queen that is Tara Vance as we work closely together on the Shocking Truth series about the abuses of the Judge Rotenberg Center. Tara is the CEO and founder of Neuroclastic, the largest nonprofit of its kind, a collective of autistic voices advocating for autistic representation and human rights, or in other words, the MVP when it comes to educating and advocating for the rights of the autistic community. Tara was able to articulate exactly the damage and injustice that exists and is sometimes perpetrated by the media. She said, The media always portrays the disabled and especially autistic victims of filicide or a parent killing a child, like rampaging juggernauts who drove their parents to what is often ruled by the court system to be insanity. The children are portrayed as bigger, faster, and stronger than everyone else. She went on to say, One of my best friends, Stacia Langley, was grieving the loss of her autistic son, Max Benson, who had been sat on by his teachers for nearly two hours as they held him in an illegal prone restraint. The media added 60 pounds and over a foot to his height, making it seem like his teachers had no choice. Initially, the sheriff suspected no signs of foul play. Max's only offense was spitting. Max was portrayed as having severe autism, a term that the media uses to excuse abuses, but that does not exist in medical diagnostics. 
It's a way to immediately dehumanize people, a shorthand to conjure the biases of people who hear it. To everyone who knew him, Max was a brilliant, social, loving, and curious child who was affectionately deemed the mayor of his neighborhood by its residents. He got that name because he knew each person and remembered things about them, always interacting and connecting at the human level like one would expect from a candidate for mayor on the campaign trail. The media perpetrates these cruel and unnecessary deaths by erasing the humanity and dignity of autistic people. And further, it kills me that the shift that needs to happen is that everyone needs better tools to understand autistic people at the human level. Lobbyists and corporate interests keep the narrative about autism as scary and as unmanageable as possible to secure funding. Researchers dehumanize autistic people to secure funding. The media demonizes autistic people for clickbait. Every time this happens, I think about how those people had connected with autistic people who are in community with other autistics, like the community surrounding neuroclastic, they would be much less afraid. Right now, the media acts as an accomplice to murder, consistently reinforcing the notion of autistic people as either wretched victims in bullying cases deserving of pity or dangerous forces of destruction when they're killed by parents or authority figures. Huge thank you to Tara and Neuroclastic for never missing an opportunity to advocate and educate. I'll be sure to link all of their information in the show notes. I highly encourage anyone who is autistic, loves someone who is, educators, providers, and parents to head on over to Neuroclastic. There are free resources and beautiful humans available to guide you in the right direction for whatever your need may be. Psyka Octor will likely, if she hasn't already, be released from the Texas State Hospital. It won't be breaking news, although there may be a blip in the local paper. She will walk free without any repercussions. She'll be free to start a new life, move to a new city, tell those around her what happened or not. She can choose to have more kids and move on and live out the life that she took from not one, but two children. Zane and Faryal were never given that opportunity. At five and two, their lives hadn't even really begun. They won't graduate high school, learn to drive, discover their talents, or have families of their own. Every ounce of their potential was snuffed out in an act of violence committed by their own mother on July 19, 2010 and many believe they never got the justice they so very much deserved. But they are never forgotten. Their names appear on the Disability Day of Mourning website, and each year on March 1st, when the disability community gathers to remember victims with disabilities murdered at the hands of parents or caregivers on the Disability Day of Mourning, their names are read aloud at vigils around the world. Zane, which means grace, and Faryal, which means angel. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all new case next week and I can't wait.
make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash to support the show today. I'll also post a link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.